Hello again, friends, and welcome on into episode 16 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. My name is Mark Schofield. Happy to be back with you on today, Saturday, December 28th, 2019. Just a few days left in the year. A few days left in both the college and the pro football seasons. We are obviously in week 17 of the 2019-2020 NFL season. The Patriots have a massive game on Sunday, a chance to lock up the number two spot in the AFC. We're going to get to some news and notes on that game in a moment. And of course, as it is Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind Day, it's time for the rake scale. And you know it's a zero-rake day because we have the college football playoffs on Saturday, and we'll talk about those games as well. Before we do that, your usual reminders about what we do here on Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. Each week, in addition to some of the news and notes we talk about at the outset of the show, we give you a little taste, a sample, and an amuse-bouche of some of the great work we did the previous week over at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. From our flagship show, the Pat's Pulpit Podcast with Rich Hill and Alex Shane, to Patriot Nation with Pat Land and Ryan Spagnoli. And of course, Pat's Pulpit's newest show, mine, The Sco Show, which you can catch a couple of times a week. Also, we have some great music to get you in and out of each episode. That is Hope from Head of Music. And you can check them out at headofmusic.com. Now let's talk this Saturday, excuse me, this Sunday. Week's all screwed up. You get the holidays and everything. I don't know what day it is. I think it's Friday. But I do know that Sunday, yes, Sunday, the New England Patriots will host the Miami Dolphins in the regular season finale. That's a 1 p.m. kick at Gillette Stadium. And the Patriots, probably about as healthy as you could be, Given the injuries that they've dealt with this season, no players have been listed as out, at least as of yet. The Patriots did release their final injury designation on Friday afternoon. They have a number of players listed as questionable, that 50-50 designation. Julian Edelman, Marcus Cannon, Shalee Calhoun, who's been dealing with an illness, who was the only player absent from the media portions of practice on Friday. Linebacker Juwan Bentley, linebacker Jamie Collins, cornerback Jason McCourty, and quarterback Jonathan Jones, both dealing with groin injuries. And safety Terrence Brooks, also questionable with a groin injury. Now for the Dolphins, cornerback Jamal Wiltz is out with a shoulder. And they have a handful of players listed as questionable. Alan Hearns, the wide receiver. Zach Sealer, the defensive tackle. Also the defensive tackle spot, Christian Wilkins, listed as questionable with an ankle. Defensive end tackle Charlton. And linebacker Vince Beagle. So those are the injuries that both teams are currently dealing with as we look ahead to Sunday. And let's sort of recap for a minute playoff scenarios starting in the AFC. After all, week 17, there's always stuff to play for on both conferences, on every single, many games have playoff implications. So we'll start with the New England Patriots and what they have to play for here in week 17. Now, currently, as things stand in the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens have clinched the AFC North and that number one spot. Throughout the AFC playoffs, they have home field advantage. The Texans, the Chiefs, the Patriots are your other division winners. The Texans in the South, the Chiefs in the West, and the Patriots in the East. The Bills have also clinched a playoff berth. Now, for New England, they clinch a first round by pretty simple. A win or a tie against Miami or a Kansas City loss or tie. For the Chiefs, obviously, they get a first round by with a win and a Patriots loss. Now the Buffalo Bills, they're basically locked into that five spot, meaning the Raiders, the Steelers, and the Titans 
are the three teams left with a viable shot at that sixth and final spot. For the Raiders to get in, well, they have to have a win, a Pittsburgh loss, a Tennessee loss, an Indianapolis win, and they would then clinch strength of victory tiebreakers over Pittsburgh. Oakland would clinch that strength of victory tiebreaker over Pittsburgh if one of the following teams win or tie. Chicago, Detroit, the Chargers, or New England. So again, for Oakland to get in, they need a win, a Pittsburgh loss, a Tennessee loss, an Indianapolis win, and that strength of victory tiebreaker, meaning one of the following teams has to win, Chicago, Detroit, the Chargers, or the Patriots. The Steelers get in with a win and a Tennessee loss or tie, or a, a tie and a Tennessee loss, or a Tennessee loss, an Indianapolis win, and an Oakland loss or tie, or a Tennessee loss, an Indianapolis win, and Pittsburgh ties Oakland in the strength of victory tiebreaker. How would that happen? Well, Pittsburgh would tie Oakland in a strength of victory tiebreaker if all of the following teams win. Minnesota, who we heard, they're shutting guys down. Green Bay, Kansas City, and Miami. Tennessee gets in with a win. Or a Tennessee tie and a Pittsburgh loss or tie. Or a Pittsburgh loss and an Indianapolis loss or tie. That's the AFC. NFC, we just have one division clinched, the Saints in the NFC South. The Packers, the Vikings, the 49ers, and the Seahawks are all in. Now, Dallas gets the East with a win and a Pittsburgh and a Philadelphia loss. The Packers clinch a first round bye with a win or a Saints loss or a Green Bay tie and a San Francisco loss or a Green Bay tie and a New Orleans tie. Green Bay clinches home field advantage throughout. They can still get the one seed with a Green Bay win and a San Francisco loss or tie, or a Green Bay tie, a San Francisco loss, and a Saints loss or tie. Now the Saints, they have clinched a division, but they're still looking for that buy. They get a first-round buy with a win and a Green Bay loss, or a win and a San Francisco loss, or a tie and a Green Bay loss, or a tie and a San Francisco loss, or a San Francisco loss and a Green Bay win or tie. They get that number one seed with a win, a Green Bay loss or tie, and a San Francisco loss or tie, or a tie, a Green Bay loss, and a San Francisco loss. You know what? At this point, it almost might be easier just to tell you to read it yourself because there's a lot going on here. The Eagles, they clinch the division with a win or a tie or a Dallas loss or tie. Now we get to the NFC West. San Francisco clinches the division with a win or a tie in the season finale, that Sunday night game at Seattle. They get a first-round bye with a win or a tie and a Green Bay loss or tie, or a tie and a New Orleans loss or tie. They clinch home field advantage throughout. Yes, San Francisco can still get that one spot with a win or a tie and a Green Bay loss or tie and a New Orleans loss or tie. Now, if Seattle wins that game, they get the division. If Seattle wins that game and gets a Green Bay loss, they get a first-round bye. If Seattle wins and gets a Green Bay loss and a New Orleans loss, they get home field advantage throughout. So it's going to be a crazy, crazy Sunday. Now, some teams are got the advantage of the schedule in a sense. For example, the Chiefs, they're kicking off at one. And so the team that they're sort of fighting with, if somehow New England loses, you know, the Chiefs and the Houston Texans, you know, they could be in a situation where if the Chiefs win at one, and the Texans know that they don't have a shot at that number two seed. 
They can sort of throttle things down. And so some teams are going to get the benefit of the schedule. Others won't. But that 4 o'clock window is going to be exciting. And obviously you have that Eagles-Giants game at 425, the Dallas-Washington game at 425. That's going to decide the East, so tons to play for. Speaking of tons to play for, obviously Saturday, well, it is bowl season, of course. Bowl games are underway, yes. But Saturday's the big one. Because we've had bowl games, you know, on Friday we had... You know, the outdoor Texas Bowl. We had the Holiday Bowl between USC and Iowa. We had the Air Force Bowl with Washington State and Washington State. North Carolina, they looked great against Temple. Sam Howell looks legit. Michigan State beats Wake Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tomorrow, today, Saturday, Memphis, Penn State and the Cotton Bowl Classic. That's going to be a nice little game. Notre Dame, Iowa and the Campin World Bowl. Those are two noon kicks. Then you clear the schedule. You shut it all down. 4 p.m. on ESPN, Oklahoma versus LSU in the Peach Bowl. And then at 8 p.m., you got Clemson, Ohio State. And you're going to see some fascinating matchups in this game. I do want to talk about the quarterbacks for a second because I think all four are worth talking about. We obviously know Joe Burrow, what he has done this year, the rise from a potential late-round draft pick to potentially number one overall. That's quite the rise. And it's legit. It's warranted. People have asked me again over and over, is the rise real? It's real. But don't count out Jalen Hurts. You know, people obviously at this time of year, they start thinking draft and maybe Hurts isn't the cleanest of prospects, but he's a damn good college quarterback. And we know what Lincoln Riley can do offensively. They've had some time to get ready for this one. I think LSU is the better team, but I don't think this game is going to be a blowout or anything like that. And then you get Clemson, Ohio State. You have to wonder about Clemson and their schedule. We know about Trevor Lawrence. We know what Dabo Swinney has put together. But they haven't played the toughest slate. Texas A&M early. You know, they're a number 12 team right now, and they beat them by 14. And then they get UVA in the conference championship game. They win that one 62-17, but... They haven't been tested, really. At UNC, they win by one. And that's a UNC team that just played. Beat Temple. I mean, it's... You do wonder... Now, look, they have some talent. Trevor Lawrence is great. Travis Etienne is great. T. Higgins is a fantastic wide receiver. They can put up points. But I do sort of wonder about them going up against Ohio State, which in stark contrast, is a team that has been tested. You know, wins against top 25 teams such as Michigan State, Wisconsin twice, win against Michigan, obviously, in the game, a win over Penn State. That's a pretty impressive resume. And when they beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game, there were a lot of people making the case that they they actually had the better resume than LSU. So I do think this is pointing towards an LSU-Ohio State championship game. But no matter what, these quarterbacks are fantastic to watch because in the nighttime game, Trevor Lawrence, we know what he can do. We know the path that he's already projected to be on. Justin Fields is a great talent as well. These are four incredibly talented quarterbacks. Do set aside some time to watch as much of these games as you can. 
because they're going to be fantastic. And then we get a, a tremendous Sunday slate as well. So great football weekend. Hopefully you've had a chance to sort of get some time away, take care of some family things during the holiday, and you'll be able to set some time aside this weekend to watch as much football as you can because it's going to be one of those fantastic football weekends with the college games on Saturday and then the playoff implications in the NFL season finale. So that's a look ahead. Up next, a look back. Some of the work we did this week on the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 16 of Pat's Pulpit Radio Rewind. And with it, the holiday season and all, it wasn't a fully stocked week, although we did put out five new shows for you, even with the holiday. We had two episodes of the Sco Show. We had two episodes of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. And we had episode 58 of Patriot Nation. So there's still some stuff to get to here. And we'll kick it off with episode 55 of the Sco Show, which was a week 16 glorious victory episode. And I'm usually not one for sort of dramatic openings, but I felt like that game, that moment, and what it meant to this team, and perhaps what it meant to its fan base, kind of required one. Football is a game of emotion. A great writer once wrote about the sport, deny emotion and you only see a fraction of the game. That writer went on to say, emotion is often the motivating reason why an offense or a defense chooses to repeat a play call when it might not intellectually be the best option. John Elway telling his offense, quote, we've got them right where we want them, close quote at the Broncos two-yard line in Municipal Stadium in Cleveland, just seconds away from the Browns' Super Bowl birth. That was not a logical statement from the Denver quarterback. Neither was Joe Montana telling his teammates in the huddle that he spotted John Candy with less than two minutes left in the Orange Bowl while trailing the Bengals for Super Bowl twenty-three. Football is a game of emotion. It's the emotional rise when you see your diminutive wide receiver return to the sideline and in his first play back, catch a crossing route, spin away from a huge hit and rip off a huge gain into the opposition territory. It's seeing one of your running backs get hit yards short of the goal line, maintain his balance and burst over that goal line for a critical touchdown. And it's seeing your 42-year-old quarterback throwing a cut block on a reverse, dancing away from pressure and extending a play to deliver a critical two-point conversion to that same diminutive wide receiver who had just returned to the sidelines. Football is a game of emotion, and partly because of that, tonight, your New England Patriots are once again AFC East champions. I'm Mark Schofield, and this is a glorious victory edition of the Sco Show. Up next was a Christmas Eve installment of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. And in episode 181 of the flagship show, Rich and Alec dove into, say, the Christmas cheer a bit. And we're optimistic about the Patriots offense. And the good news, Rich, is perhaps, perhaps, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but they may not need to be a perfect defense because maybe the offense has finally found its groove. Again, I don't want to jump to conclusions here. 
But, again, we talked earlier in the podcast, there are some parallels between this season and last season. The Bills are a very good defense with a very stout run defense. The Patriots had 143 yards rushing, which is pretty incredible. And if Sony Michelle hadn't gotten stopped in the background, a backfield from a block, he would have had a 100-yard day. Uh, I loved what I saw from them. I thought the blocking was solid. I was incredibly impressed with Marshall Newhouse, who came in in right tackle and reserve oh, yeah. duty. Never thought I'd say that. Uh, I think that Nikhil Harry had a great day. I think that it was an overall, might have been their best offensive performance of the season. And I know it's the Bills and it's at home and it's you can't take too much away from one game. But if they can just play, honestly, I think if the Patriots can just play like they played on Saturday and the defense keep doing what the defense does, I will put the Patriots up against any team in the AFC playoff picture right now. Oh, totally. I, I totally agree with that because so much of what the Patriots are able to accomplish against the Bills are things that they'll be able to do against other teams. They'll be able to do because the Bills have the best defense that we'll see in the playoffs. You know, I, I mentioned that they had the worst offense. They also have the best opposing defense. I, I think that the Ravens are a little bit behind them, but they're still very talented. But the Bills defense head and shoulders are above most other defenses in the entire league. Uh, for my money, it goes Patriots, 49ers, Bills. And if you look over the past, you know, two, three years under Sean McDermott, Bills have a top two defensive unit in the entire league. They're, they're great. They've been successful. And so if the Patriots showed that they were able to succeed against this defense, I think that they should be able to figure out a way to succeed against other teams. And if, if not for like a few penalties here and there, you know, you had that Rex Burkhead fumble early on shore, but you also had, uh, you know, an offensive pass interference call against Julian Edelman that wiped out a 33 yard touchdown pass to, to Ben Watson. You had, uh, you know, another offensive pass interference call against Ben Watson that kind of stopped another drive that the Patriots had on the third. And then it just felt like there were repeated penalty after penalty that set New England back. So they weren't able to score touchdowns as well as they would have liked. Um, but if the Patriots can continue to get Nikhil Harry involved, and they certainly seem to be, they've been finding creative ways to get him the football. I expect that the Patriots will start paying dividends in the postseason, in the red zone, where they will be able to finish their drives. Because I really like, the most promising thing I took away from this game was the creativity from Josh McDaniels. That was not something that we've been seeing in recent weeks. That was not something that we had when the Patriots' offensive skill players were entirely limited to just Julian Edelman and no one else. But we're seeing a lot of two-back sets with James White and Rex Burkhead. I like that. I think it gets them the ball in space. They are productive ball carriers for the Patriots, but then you're also seeing Edelman's continuing to produce. Hopefully he'll be fully healthy in time for the postseason push. Nikhil Harry looks better each and every week. I really love how he looks in the open field, and so they'll continue to get him the football. Big question with Mohamed Sanu. I don't know if I've seen much progress out of him, but honestly, I think his his value will come next year more so than this one. But I, I think that everything that we saw from the Patriots this week against the Buffalo Bills is just a great, great sign for things to come. Then after a day off for the Christmas holiday, we came back with episode 182 of the Pat's Pulpit podcast in here. Alec and Rich dive into what they expect or maybe what they just don't know what to expect when the Miami Dolphins offense takes the field on Sunday. I'm worried about Ryan Fitzpatrick. That's who I'm worried about because I think we're in the weird cycle right now. He had a, he took a while to get back to his, I guess, wheel of, of, of Patrick self. Um, I don't know <laughs> which guy's going to show up. I really don't know. He's a, he's going to be lights out. He could throw five touchdowns. He, he could legitimately throw for five touchdowns on on Sunday, and I wouldn't bat an eye at it. And the receiving core 
for the Dolphins isn't bad. I mean, I like Devontae Parker. I like Alan Hearns. I like Albert Wilson. They're not world-beating number one monster receivers, but it's a very solid group. Jonathan Jones probably won't play as he nurses that groin injury still. Jason McCourty's banged up. J.C. Jackson's playing great. Stephon Gilmore is Defensive Player of the Year, in my opinion. But it's going to be—it's not going to be a Buffalo Bill situation where you can just put a hat on a hat and mo- focus most of your resources on containing the mobile quarterback and stopping the run. The good news is, Fitzpatrick's not a threat to run the way that Josh Allen is. But I think that they are going to have to focus much more on the pass than the run this time around because the talent level of the Miami Dolphins receivers is a little better than the Buffalo Bills are. And I like what the Patriots can bring to the table, kind of putting a hat on the hat on the defensive line side because um, I don't really think that the the Dolphins have a, a strong enough running game to have to really focus on it. So I'm worried about the passing game and maybe some, some bunch coverage, some press coverage, some safety help, and force the Patrick into, into mistakes and make sure the, the pumpkin comes out and not the Cinderella version of them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I really like what you're saying about this, the depth of the the receiving options for the Miami Dolphins, because they do have a lot of players. I mean, they have a very veteran group with Devontae Parker, who we mentioned before, but also Alan Hearns, who left last week with an injured shoulder. We'll see how he will be available, Um, but he is also just always a viable number two. You have Albert Wilson coming out of the slot, who is someone that the the Patriots like. And then also Isaiah Ford is a second-year player who has really emerged over the past three weeks. Uh, You know, I mean... The, he's been playing most of the snaps. He's been averaging 60 yards a game over the past three weeks. He's really building a rapport with Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you have a four-deep receiving chart for this this Miami Dolphins team. If I am the Patriots, uh, you also have to be cognizant of that. Mike Jacecki is going to be on the field. He is going to be one of the premier tight ends. I wouldn't be shocked if in the next, like, next year or two um, he becomes a little bit more well-regarded in that place um but he plays most of a lot of the snaps you have uh either miles gaskin who left last game with a left ankle injury we'll see what he's doing or patrick laird uh who isn't really that great of a running back but he's back there as an option he's been one of their starters just as they've had a rotation in the back um there will always be one running back on the field there will likely always be one tight end and so you'll have a rotation of those three wide receivers out there and uh, I think Isaiah Ford will play a little bit more if Alan Hearns is unavailable. Uh, they kind of rotate their, their snaps based off of uh, what the matchups say. Um, but you'll also have Albert Wilson in that rotation. But their undeniable number one is going to be Devontae Parker. And so as a result, you put Stephon Gilmore on him, going to blanket him. Uh, he held Devontae Parker to zero receptions on seven targets back in week two. I would expect an encore performance. Um, but then after that, it becomes a little bit questionable for the Patriots because uh, how will everyone be? Jason McCourty has been dealing with his ongoing groin injury. Jonathan Jones has been dealing with an injury. And so I would say let's put J.C. Jackson out there on either Alan Hearns or Isaiah Ford, whoever is out there at that time. Uh, and then you would probably put, you know, Joe John Williams out there against uh, whoever is the the bigger receiver if they have a, a three receiver set and move JC Jackson into the slot. So uh, you would probably put JC Jackson on Albert Wilson and allow the taller Joe John Williams to cover either the the six three Alan Hearns or the six two Isaiah Ford. And that's assuming that Jonathan Jones and Jason McCordy are not able to go. Otherwise, you keep J.C. Jackson and his great deep ball ability on the outside, allow him to defend Isaiah Ford, uh, and then you put Jason McCordy in the slot. But that, that is worth monitoring on how he will fare. I just think that the Patriots match up well enough. 
against these wide receivers, but we've played Ryan Fitzpatrick enough, Alec, that literally anything can happen. You know, we saw last week about how Josh Allen had those beautiful passes every now and then. That's like Ryan Fitzpatrick light. Ryan Fitzpatrick is capable of throwing five touchdowns in a game, and he's also th- capable of throwing five interceptions. I have no idea which version will show up, but I-, I expect that the Patriots are going to dedicate a little bit more of their resources to stopping the pass because of how inconsistent this Miami Dolphins rushing attack has been. Then we had two shows for you on Friday. Up first was episode 58 of Patriot Nation, and in this installment, Pat and Spags went through some of the top games and players of the decade from a New England perspective. And I'm going to include here sort of the end to this episode. It was a great episode. So many great games, players, and moments that they sort of recapped. And it was a tremendous listen. But here's sort of the end of that show with a recap of their top games, all the games that they listed in order, as well as their sort of New Year's message as they'll be back in 2020. So let's uh, we'll run down the list here. Uh, starting in 18, 18 is the 2011 AFC Championship game against the Ravens. Uh, 20 uh, number 17 is the 2019 game against the Bills last weekend. 16 is the 2012 game against the Jets. 15 is the 2017 game against the Texans. 14 is the 2013 game against the Browns. 13 is the 2015 game against the Giants. Number 12 is on to Cincinnati. Again, that week, you want to pick the Chiefs game. You want to pick the Cincy game just that week. That the whole week is the on to Cincinnati is number 12. I'm sorry. Number 11 is the 2014 AFC Championship game against the Colts. Obviously, Deflategate. Number 10 is the 2018 regular season game against the Chiefs. Number 9 is the 2013 regular season game against Denver. Number 8 is 2017 against the Steelers, the Jesse James play. Number seven is the 2017 AFC Championship game against the Jaguars uh, with the Gilmore pass break up there. Number five is the 2013 against the, uh, game against the Saints, Unicorns, Show Ponies. Uh, <laughs> number five is Super Bowl 53. Number, which, by the way, can we just talk about us for, uh, for a second here? How lucky we are that a Super Bowl the Patriots won. It's number five. Is number five. Disgusting. You want to get into it. <laughs> so, oh. so that one's a tie for fifth. Number four is the 2014 divisional game against Baltimore. Number three is the 2018 AFC Championship game last year against the Chiefs. And then tied for number one is Super Bowl 51 and Super Bowl 49. Oof. One hell of a list. One so, hell of a list. We've had a great. It's been it's been a hell of a run. Hey, cheers! Cheers, anybody listening? Yes. Let's, let's go do it again for another decade. I know. Hopefully Thanks. We can do this hey, again. you know, hopefully you're here listening oh. in 2029 to us when uh, you know we're we're it's talking crazy about, the, to think about that. the best 10 games of the Patriots last uh, last decade. And listen, this this run has also been going on. I mean, think about this run has been going on for two decades now. Mm-hmm. It started in 2000. Obviously, Belichick gets hired in 2000, and the run starts in 01. But you know, starts in 2000 with Belichick, and now you know, we're going on two decades of dominance with the Patriots. Where, you know, outside after 2000, the Patriots have never finished the season outside of first place in the division. Crazy. They lost the they lost the division two years, but they were both the tiebreakers. They've never finished with a div, with a record worse than any team in the division. Unbelievable since 01. So it's really been fantastic. But anyways. As we approach the end of the year, thank you guys for listening. Yeah, We've had a lot of fun. We've Absolutely. been here, obviously, a little bit over a year now, but we kind of kept it going all off season. We're going to keep it going most of the offseason this year, too. Uh, we have big plans for 2020, Absolutely. I think. So. Let's go. Cheers. So we got some things going on. Thank you very much. Enjoy your time off with your family. And uh, and go Pats. And we'll talk, to you. we'll talk to you next year. Talk to you next year. And then we close it out with episode 56 of the SCO Show. And in this installment... 
I covered a lot of ground. I went through the recent column from the Palm Beach Post and USA Today about whether Bill Belichick would have an asterisk next to his name if and when he surpasses Don Shula. I talked about what I wanted to see Sunday from the New England Patriots. I talked about some of the bowl games that went down on Friday, but I closed it out with a sort of a personal note of my own, something I wanted to share with the listeners, and maybe you heard it before, maybe you hadn't, but I still still wanted to share it about what doing this show and having this new gig and this new lease on life means to me. And that brings us to sort of where I wanted to end this show. I really, like I said, I wanted to do this in the Wednesday, the Christmas Day show, but because of other things, playing Santa and whatnot, I didn't get a chance to do a show until now. And I'm a very emotional guy. I wear my heart and my emotions on my sleeve. I've been very open with sort of some of my struggles with anxiety and depression and things like that. And you know, I've been very open and honest about how this new career of mine has sort of saved me from a from a very dark place. And the holidays are somewhat of a reminder of that because, you know, I'm someone that loves Christmas. I love this season. I love making cookies and being with friends and family and giving gifts to my loved ones and things like that. And the joy and the happiness that I get from that used to be diminished, used to be minimized in a massive way because of the darkness of my mind, because of the anxieties of the practice of law, the stressors and all the other things that came with that, the things that I was struggling with. And so I was reminded this holiday season of that weight being lifted off of my shoulders because of this new job, because of this new career. And it's because of you. Because let's face it, if I don't have people to listen to the show, if I don't have people to follow the work online or read the articles or things like that, then it's not working for me and I got to go back to that life. And that life was dark. That life was dreary. That life had a bad ending at the end of that road. I know this. You know, I haven't shied away from the fact that that prior life was leading me probably to an early grave. And I got out of it. And yes, there have still been some struggles along the way. Yes, there are still the insecurities that come up from time to time when I'll log on to Twitter and I'll read something from another writer and just be like, man, I wish I could write that well. Or I'll listen to somebody's podcast and be like, I can never be that good at this. Or I'll see somebody break down some game film and I'll get insanely jealous because it's like, yeah, I do that, but not that well. But at the same time, I can live with that. Like I can handle that because I throw myself back into film. I throw myself back into an article. I throw myself back in front of the screen and I work through it. But I wasn't always that way. And so this holiday season, again, I am more thankful than ever that I have people like you listeners and readers and those of you in the Slack channel and everywhere around the world that have given me this lease on life, this new lease on life. And so, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of myself, on behalf of my family, I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for the new gift you've given me. And so I just wanted to take a couple of moments and remind you all just how much you all mean to me. We had recently a member of the sports community, a a broadcaster and writer and journalist for ESPN, pass away suddenly and unexpectedly in his mid-30s, he was engaged. He wasn't even married yet. And the outpouring of 
Support is warranted. It's an emotional time. And it's another reminder that this life is so short. We get one drive. We get one game in this thing we call life. And I got a new lease on it thanks to all of you. And I appreciate that so much. Every single day of my life, and especially right now, when I get that joy back in the holiday season and it's not overshadowed by everything else and I can just appreciate it. And so this time that I had away, I cherished it and I was able to do that because of all of you. And so from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of my family, thank you so much. So there you have it, just some of what we did this week at the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. Now, usually when I sign off on these shows, I talk about how there are no days off from the front office of the coaching staff and, and yes, the host of the Pat's Pulpit Podcast Network. But as this is the last one of the season, this is the, well, the year, let's put it that way. We'll keep doing these at least until the Patriots season ends. You know, as this is sort of the end of the year, I did sort of want to piggyback off of what you heard from Pat and Spags there and some of what you heard from me there at the end. Look, doing these shows, it's a joy for all of us. We love it. We're honored and privileged to be able to come into your homes, your commutes, your workouts, wherever you listen to us a couple of times a week, a couple of times a day sometimes, and talk about the Patriots. Because, you know, sports is that one great thing that we can have in our lives that we can have common cause with, where we come from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different socioeconomic backgrounds, whatever. We can find common cause with, with a team. And for many of us, and I put myself in this category, the New England Patriots have been such a part of our lives you know, for the past 20 years or beyond. And we've been lucky and privileged as Patriots fans to see this run. We've been lucky and privileged as people who cover this team to be a part of it in a small way. And to be able to share that with great listeners and great readers like we have in Pat's Pulpit, it's just a joy. And we cherish each and every one of you. We are honored that you would take the time to listen to our shows, to read the work, to tweet out the stuff that we do. Because we know that with great success on the field comes a lot of options. You know, when I came from the Locked On Podcast Network, again, you would have... So many people listening to a Patriots show, but there are so many other great options out there. And Locked On Patriots is still great right now with Michael DeBate, who took over for me. We know, as Patriots fans, you have so many options at your fingertips, whether it's guys from The Athletic, the men and women who cover the team for Nesson, CLNS Media, you know, 98.5, the Sports Hub. You have so many options when it comes to consuming information and content on your team. And the fact that you let us into your lives a little bit each week it's a tremendous to see, and we're honored and grateful each and every day that you would welcome us into your lives that way. And so, you know, as this regular season draws to a close, again, to reiterate with Pat and Spags there, said there in their little outro, we have huge plans for the offseason. We have huge plans for the draft. We're going ha- to be with you every single step of the way. When this New England season ends, it just really gets going for us. You know, because we're lucky in the sense that this is what we do. Other options out there, they're going to turn to the Bruins. They're going to turn to the Celtics. They'll turn come springtime to the Red Sox. But for those of you that eat, sleep, breathe Patriots, we will be here for you every single step of the way. With draft coverage, those of you that have followed my work, you know that the draft is really what I do. 
And so you know we will have it covered every single angle up until the draft and then through the summer and beyond because before you know it, it will be training camp again. The NFL season it is a year-long thing, I know, because I don't really sleep until June. But we love it, and we love you for making us a big part of your lives too. So from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of all the other hosts here, a sincere thank you for listening throughout the year. And we hope to see you for a glorious victory episode Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, as we look ahead to the playoffs. Until then, friends, as I say on the Sco Show, please keep on blessing that Patriots reign down in Foxborough.